What can you learn by stepping back in order to move forward? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, here's the question. How are we dark horses? You know, the ones everyone is betting against, the ones they don't expect to win, place, or even show on the track, and they'll even laugh on us when we talk about trying. How do we show the world our greatness and triumph? Well, that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. This is the Dark Horse Entrepreneur. My name is Tracy Brinkman. What is up? What is up? What the hell is up, my Dark Horse friends and family? Welcome back to your weekly dose of actor to entrepreneur learning. I'm your Dark Horse host, Tracy Brinkman, and you, well, that, my friend, is infinitely more important. You are or driven entrepreneur, or one in the making. Either way, you're here because you're ready to start, restart, or kickstart, just start leveling up with some great marketing, personal, or business tips, and results in order to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And man, do we have an episode for you today. Today, Michael Stein is going to be sharing about long shots, dark horses, underdogs, being inspired by Rocky, the sweet spot generation, how some generations take for granted the lessons learned by other generations, the value of learning, and the benefits of doing as a way of learning. Plus, I'm going to let you in on next week's interview episode guest who spent 13 years in the streets, in gangs, in oil fields, and went from there to building a six-figure business and rubbing elbows with multi-million dollar entrepreneurs. As per usual, the Dark Horse Corrals are chock full of personal business and marketing G-O-L-D spilling from every corner of the Dark Horse Entrepreneur HQ. So let's get to the starting gates and go. All right, my Dark Horse friends and family, today's guest, as I said before, is Michael Stein. Now, Michael Stein is an American entrepreneur, actor, entertainer, stand-up comedian, and filmmaker. Michael is also the founder of Stein Media and Abadek Incorporated. You see, Stein Media is an independent production company that creates multiple genres of films such as uh, television commercials, events, and films around uh, the U.S. Uh, Abadek is a tarp selling company in Georgetown, Texas, and it's also actively involved in charity work. Now, beyond all that, Michael is probably best known for his work in Rituals and Resolutions, The Dirk Diggler Story, Boogie Nights, Love Hollywood Style, and so many others. Stein is recognized for his entrepreneurial and creative skills and has also worked with some of the Several of the top artists, such as Paul Thomas Anderson, the Academy Award-winning actress Faye Dunaway, Peter Gruber, John Peters, Andy Dick, Coolio, and Stephen Tobolowski. Stein's award-winning production, uh, Rituals and Resolutions, was even acquired by HBO and has been distributed distributed internationally. Man, there are so many stories, so let's get stuck right in. All right, my Dark Horse friends and family. So here we are for round two. Michael, welcome to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur, man. How you doing? Uh, it's doing great. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> and actually, it's, it's funny. Um, I say round two for those that don't know, and you'll know shortly, is that Michael and I actually did this, oh, God, was it the end of May, I think it was, and uh, had an amazing conversation. And something happened to the recording so that when I sat down to edit it, it wasn't there. 
uh, wah, wah, wah. But Michael's so cool. He's coming back to reshare his story. So that's the first thing I want to do, Michael, is I, I want to shut up my babbling mouth for you to tell your story, that good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, and it was a, a really cool story uh, of what brought you to where you are and why you love doing what you do so much. Okay. Well, I guess, you know, we were talking about me. I think we were talking about me uh, starting my podcast, Long Shot Leaders, and why I'm doing a podcast called Long Shot Leaders. And that is, uh, you know, I consider myself a long shot, not the best long shot you ever heard, but I come from a, I consider myself coming from a long line of long shots. My, my grandmother escaped the Russian concentration camps on her way to America. My dad was a new, homeless New York Street kid, eventually became a multimillionaire only to become a homeless uh, guy again. And uh, I was a, 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 a unplanned child. I was born with a lot of uh, physical, um, you know, uh, issues, health issues. And um, I uh, had ADHD, which they didn't know what it was back then. Uh, mm-hmm. Dyslexia. I was put in a special cool school called Fernal School at UCLA uh, for special needs kids until I was able to, you know, six months later, I barely squeaked by to get back to a normal school. And I really never had success of any kind as a kid, you know, just making people laugh, getting people to laugh at me and, you know, and self-deprecation until one day, like most young boys here in America, I saw a movie called Rocky and I was 10 years old. And I said, here's a guy like me. He makes people laugh. He always fails, but he keeps on trying to, you know, get, you know, get back up. And I said, you know, the only difference between this guy and myself is, is he's physically fit. And I was not, I was far from it. So um, I was terrible at sports as well. So I decided that since that day, physical fitness will be a big part of my life. And, you know, six years later, I was 16 years old. I became a physical fitness trainer. And when I was 19, I did stand up comedy. And when I was uh, 20, I, or I did, when I was 18, I decided I'm going to grad the day after I graduated high school, I'm going to start my own business because I had success as a comedian you know, or, you know, or, or as comedy, you know, right. you know, even before I did stand up, I was having success there, you know, and school parties and, and I was a physical fitness trainer. I said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and an actor. That's what I want to do. And my high school tutor said, you know, you should probably try to do uh, things with your hands because not everybody's meant to do what they want to do. So I started business the day after high school and I failed miserably. And then, uh, but six weeks later, I decided I'm going to become a nightclub promoter, uh, because after I did my stand-up routine, I, I brought in a big, you know, crowd. I said I could do this with nightclubs, and I became the number one nightclub promoter for my age bracket in Los Angeles. And I did that; I was very successful. And then uh, I started my acting career. My first job was playing Dirt Diggler in the Dirt Diggler story, which became the movie Boogie Nights, which I appear in as well. And then I left my nightclub business, and I said I'm going to do what my friend Paul Thomas Henderson did and become a successful filmmaker. So then I went off to do documentary films. I did a very successful short film, a vehicle to try to get me, a, you know, jobs in Hollywood to be a, a you know director. And I came close to a movie deal for one of my screenplays, mm-hmm. but it didn't turn over a movie deal. And by this time, working, you know, for six years in production and you know spending money on film and no nightclub premiere anymore, uh, nightclub you know business, I was broken in debt. And I said, screw Hollywood, I'm going to make my own movie. But I was broken in debt, and how was I going to make this money to make my own movie? So I started a business. This is back in 2000. And within six months, the business made half a million dollars. I made a movie called Love Hollywood Style with Faye Dunaway, Andy Dick, and Coolio, and a crazy comedy class, a film that Hollywood never let me make. And that, you know, by the end of that, I almost bottomed out the business I created. And I decided to leave Hollywood. I grew that business into a business, made over $100 million. And 
I've had this up and down career, but luckily, you know, for the past, you know, 20 years, I've had a trajectory of upwardness, you know, less volatility than what I explained Uh and learn to find the equilibrium of somewhat success on a, on a trajectory that constantly goes upward. And I decided I'm going to do a podcast that resembles that called long shot leaders, people that have failed and succeeded but ultimately have overcome these large obstacles, find success. And that is why I'm here with you today. Nice, nice. Now, you, you glazed over that, and there's a couple of points I want to dig in a, a little bit deeper in there. It's only because I know it now, right? Right, um, right. I, I remember when you were telling the story about you uh, choosing to make a movie on your own, that um, you decided you stepped back from what you were doing and you took on a role as what was it a um a pa it was like a a production assistant that's what it was to learn the film industry from the inside right right Right. yeah so what happened was is that when i I was a you know when you're a nightclub promoter back when i was it was you're like a mini celebrity Mm -hmm. and making a lot of good money but i didn't want to do that for a living i wanted i saw the success that my friend had so i said i'm going to do that i can do that too because you start to you know even though it my childhood was filled with failure. You get some successes, you know, and then you think, well, you know what? I, it's just time plus effort. I'm going to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Also, timing is very important as well. So I went off and I did uh, some big documentaries. I did a documentary uh, tour around the country, segueing from nightclubs to film and doing a documentary on the history of house music and raves across the country. Right on. And I planned like big events all across the country as I was filming uh, you know, showing old documentaries from the LA nightclub scene, which I directed as well as I was directing this big, you know, documentary on the history of house music. I did that. And after I did that, I, I figured, you know, I was, you know, I I had a talent, but I was uneducated in the art of filmmaking. So I said, rather than me going to college, because my, I saw my friend uh, who was very successful, he dropped out of NYU and, you know, several years later he was nominated for Academy Award. So I said, I'm going to go into film production, uh, particularly commercials, because you could see the beginning, middle, and end of a film production rapidly. And you also work with the best of the best, like John Schwartzman, who works with Michael Bay all the time on big you know, films. You'll see, he's a DP, a director of photography. And these guys, when they're not shooting films, they will work on commercials because they pay them per day higher than what they make per day on a film, nice. a motion picture. So I got to work with the best of the best for three and a half, four years. And I got the education and I, I left my lucrative nightclub business to go deep into that, which was okay, but you make a lot less money, me being a production assistant than I was as my own entrepreneur nightclub business. And, but I learned from the best of the best. And then I was also able to attain a crew when I did my award-winning short film that nearly got me a movie deal. Uh, when I decided to do that, I got the best of the best to work on my film. So there was a lot of advantages to taking stepping away from that and being a production assistant. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you get the uh, the education that you don't necessarily get in the classroom environment, plus the connections that you make through that education as because you're it's hands-on, right? Day in and right. day out. Precisely. <laughs> nice. I, that's I, you know they say, "Oh, this is worth $50 and that's worth $150, but this, my friends, is priceless. <laughs> <laughs> it was the relationships too that you build and getting to see, you know, not there's intellectual knowledge and then there's physical knowledge. Intellectual mm-hmm. knowledge is what I could explain to you how to tie a shoe. Mm-hmm. And then you understand that 
And you say, yeah, now I know how to do it. You have conscious incompetence because you haven't tied a shoe yet. You haven't tasted the strawberry, so you can't know what this, the, the texture of the seeds and the, and, the, and the meat of the strawberry tastes like. But when you have physical knowledge, you go through the circumstance and you apply the mental knowledge that you're knowing, and now you're actually doing it and seeing the texture of those things, how it works. It's exponentially um, much more of an advantage. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely, that actually brings a, uh, a, broad, a great point that so many folks maybe go through the education process and they step out, I'm ready to take on the world. And then the first barrier that's not taught to them hits them and it's going to come, right? Whereas if you go through the, uh, the contextual knowledge, hey, I'm, I'm in the weeds every single day, uh, you, you learn about those barriers. Sometimes you're presented and you've already overcome them. So now the next time it, it uh, affords itself to you, you're like, I've already beat this a couple of times. That's right. Yeah. And anybody that's listening that's going to college for, for that, that's fine. Don't get me wrong. I think that's great. If you could apply both, make sure that mm. you equal you give equal uh, credence to both uh, things. You know the um, the the college education, but realize that you're halfway there, and then you really got to get that physical knowledge in there to really become a full you know uh, martial artist of whatever you're trying to do. Yeah, well said, martial artist. I actually just got finished interviewing a gentleman that used to be uh, an army ranger. And uh, he's out doing some production work. He has this vision of an A-team style van being dropped out of like a C-130. Uh, and he wants to film the whole thing, you know, parachutists with cameras and a whole nine yards. And he's done some production work, but he hasn't been in the, that next level. So he's using his uh, GI Bill to go back and get that education mm -hmm. to broaden what production skills he has to make this kind of this wow factor uh, and then he's going through the process of documenting the whole journey right you know mm. they're going to build the van from scratch he's got the skill set for that and you know make it look all a team and getting the permissions and getting it up in the air and and then and finally it's going to be this commercial for his brand on top of that uh, he does combat flip-flops so it all mm -hmm. fits together <laughs> for that that macho man machismo Combat flip-flops. That's awesome. Uh, you know, that's interesting that you talk about that because there's some people, not, 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 this doesn't happen all the time, but there's, you know, let's say uh, doctors or not, not so much doctors because there are, uh, they have to, you know, but let's say a therapist, a psychological therapist. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll get done with their education in school and they don't really look into different modalities after they get their license. I look, I'm just going to, you know, but there's, but if you really, you know, want to be the best you can be, constantly learning and keeping your door open, you know, it was a, uh, Tony Robbins calls it Kanai, uh, constant, never ending improvement. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things I try to, I've tried to do over the course of my career. And I actually have been trying to bring it into this podcast as well as being in bringing people on from different backgrounds and industries that may have nothing on the surface to do with entrepreneurship, but the lessons that you can learn from them, from their industry and from their stories can just go right to the source. You can say, look, if you learn from this lesson, um, you might save yourself a couple of headaches, right? That's right. You know, and that's so funny about the great times that we live in right now, because you and I are, you know, close in age. You know, we, we come from an era where, you know, I remember when as a kid, you look at the encyclopedias and then, and the, you know, those, those great volume of books and you're like, well, I can learn about space or geography or the ocean or animals. And each book was fascinating to open up. 
now with the internet, now with people, us, you, you can talk to an expert, expert, or you could just turn on a podcast and you can get an amazing amount of information mm-hmm. from people that excel at that. And you can listen to that content whenever you want. And even if you're driving, it's embedded in your subconscious. And now you're becoming a very dangerous, wonderful animal that, you know, can, can become, you know, the consciousness of society, um, is being raised by that. You know, we all, there's other, we can get into the negatives too. Why, how we, we well, yeah. it. <laughs> but, but I'm just talking about the positive end of that right now, which is the, there is such a great positive, um, you know, towards uh, the technology, the times we live in and, and learning. I think you're, that, that's a great point. I think one of the cool things about that is I think it's opening up eyes, right? If we, if we stick to the positive side of things, folks are going out and maybe they're listening to, you know, the long shot leader podcast or the dark horse entrepreneur or this podcast or that podcast. And they're getting all these varied opinions and insights from all these stories that are beyond their scope. And they're like, Wow, I never thought about it that way, which is opening their their mind more than just their eyes to go, hmm, I think I could do that, whatever that may be in their world. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting, and I don't hear people talking about this particular subject, but there is a sweet spot of generation that is didn't that didn't grow up with the internet. And now that they have these modalities, then there's the generation after that that takes it for granted. So there's that sweet spot generation. There's a generation before, like, let's say generation X, you know, the boomers where they're not getting involved because it's just way too out there for them. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a sweet spot generation that is now, they, they're so hungry for this content and they understand the scarcity because they grew up with that. So the, the, I see, you know, generation Z, cause I, I have generation Z kids right. that kind of like, you know, take some of that for granted. Some of it's already there. You know, they could, you know, this TikTok, funny it is, there's actually great lessons to be learned on TikTok, you know, but the, the sweet spot generation that is so hungry for the content, they're just soaking it up every day. It's like, you know, oh my God. And they're never get that generation, a big portion of them will never get tired of it. And, and that generation, um, uh, is, is becoming very powerful. Yeah. And I, inside of that, though, I think what concerns me is, the subset of them that are all focused on gathering the knowledge. Well, that's awesome. And, and it's great. Keep learning. You know, Kate, like you said, if you're going in college, awesome. If you get some hands-on experience, even more awesome. But then you got to do something with the knowledge, yeah. right? Yes. I just talked to a great guy yesterday, uh, AJ Yeager, who um, has done many things in his career, but right now he um, has a data company. He's a CEO and founder of a data company. And not only does it, do they gather the data, but they take the data and they show you how to use it. This is particularly used, they're talking about data for uh, e-commerce businesses, um, a SaaS company. And, and, and this, this data is, um, you know, because we all have data. We, have, we can get, open up our analytics right now. And sometimes we'll look at it and, you know, I don't know about you, you know, like Google Analytics, you know, mm-hmm. you have a, anybody listening has an e-commerce business. You open it up and you see a bunch of data, a bunch of stats, and you're like, your brain gets a little tired. And you're like, well, okay, I think I know what to do with that. But then there's companies out there that help people take that information mm-hmm. and, and, and have actions to it. Because sometimes it's, there's so much going on right now. Things are changing so fast. Like, what do I do with that information? Or how can I, you know, and that, that's going to be a big thing, you know, uh, and AI and VR and all that's playing a big part in our future. 
you're right. I'm a I'm a data geek. I actually started my career at the Coca-Cola company, um, you know, analyzing data for their planning for their marketing. And and we all know Coca-Cola is a marketing engine, right? And and those that don't know, I just told you. Now you know. Um, but they are, and they had masses of amounts of data, and a lot of it was going untapped. And even back then, you know, when it was all on, you know, Excel. Actually, I think back then it was Lotus One Two Three, right? Now I just dated myself. Um, but you certainly taken the those data points and, you know, weeding through them, analyzing them, you know, all the different uh, mathematical terms you could, you could uh, exude at this point, you could start going, oh, wow, we're missing this, or here's an opportunity, or there's an opportunity. I think there's a huge opportunity for folks that don't tap into the data that they have at their fingertips to, I mean, even just, hey, go do a couple of YouTube searches about how do I use my Google Analytics? And just the scratching that surface, you'd be like, oh, wow, I, I had no idea that that meant this or this means that. And that can keep you from killing the very goose that you're trying to raise, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it's amazing how like, you know, um, like Generation Z, you know, something like, well, how do I do that or do that? And like, oh my God, you have a, the, the world at your fingertips. Just YouTube that. There's a, there's a video that can show you that. Yeah. It does take some patience, you know, because everything's moving so fast right now. It's yeah. like, yeah, I always know I could play a video on it. You know, it's like, we all want it right now, you know? Exactly. We'll sit on TikTok for five hours and be like, what the hell happened? <laughs> I don't want 15 seconds at a time. What's up with that? Yeah, a little disappointed. <laughs> hey, one check video out for 10 minutes. There's a, probably a podcast where someone says, here's what you need to know about Google analytics. You can do that while you're driving or mowing the lawn. There you go. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So uh, to loop back around, you were you were gonna you were wanting to make this film. Like, I'm gonna do it myself, but I gotta fund it. And so you started a business, right? And you you mentioned you made what a hundred million dollars in a short period of time. Now the well, unique- well no 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 the hundred no, no, million no. dollars took a, took a while. Okay, I, I, what happened was is that you know in Hollywood the way to get a movie deal one of the easiest the, the, the typical there's no easy way <laughs> the typical <laughs> route is to you make a short film if you want to be an auteur and I did I want to be a writer and director and actor uh, you make you make a short film you win a film festival I won the two largest film festivals which was Obenhauser in Germany and Palm Springs International and my film got bought by HBO my short film and that was the vehicle to make a to make a movie and get a deal with a studio to mm-hmm. make one of my screenplays for me to direct and I got very close with a company called Trimark Pictures, and it just fell through. And this took about a year and a half, two years process. I met with every big company in Hollywood, like Joe Silver and all these, you know, the, tons of producers. And after a while, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Hollywood has a, not all of it, but has a contingent of a lot of fakers, a lot of just, you know, just it's, it's a little bit of a Wild West still as corporate as it has become. Mm-hmm. And I said, screw this. You know, because I got tired of that. You get the money, we'll get the talent. You get the talent, we'll get the money. And I'm like, you know, you need the money to get the talent. Right. That That's what Greenland's a film. And I said, I'm just going to make my own film because I had this this hunger to do, because, you know, people just talk so much, you know, and I and that entrepreneurial part of me that was initially that I grew up with, which because I come from an entrepreneurial background, even though my dad had an up and down career, uh, I said, I'm going to make this film. So I decided I wanted to do something on the internet when the internet was still young. You're now listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. 
Mm -hmm. I started to sell tarps, which has nothing to do with the film industry. It was just a, it was a product. I didn't care what it was. It was a widget that everybody could use. So I, I built a website. I did everything. I was working as a production assistant still as I'm building a website. So I'm doing two jobs, one that makes money, <laughs> production assistant, and one that doesn't, doesn't, you know, at night, you know, building a website to try to build an entrepreneurial career to make more money to pay for a film that I want to do. And just, you know, it's called Love Hollywood Style. And it's kind of like a, a dis, you know, dysfunctional story about Hollywood, you know, as my bitter story. And I just said, screw it. So within six months, it made a half a million dollars to make It's made a hundred million dollars since I started it. It's made gotcha, over a gotcha. hundred million. Okay. You know, which takes long, you know, a while, you know, but it, from starting from, you know, being in debt and broke, you know, just, you know, get one sale and, you know, so that's, that's how I was able to make, you know, and within six months I said, I'm going to take that money and, I'm just going to dump it into a movie because, you know, you're like an addicted kind of guy, you know, you want your filmmaker, you're like Ed Wood, but like, you know, you're just like, I want to do everything I can to, you know, to make my art. And, and I almost lost that business because of, of, you know, dump everything into your film. And, and at, at the end of that whole tour de France of making that film, running my business out of that, this rented shack in Sherman Oaks. And I'm, and I'm making that film out of this house that I'm running my business and it's just, it was crazy. It's a crazy, but we just recently found the footage to it. And we're doing a documentary on that particular film, the making of that film called Burning the Boats. And it's about, you know, passion versus opportunity and what people throw away for their passion, uh, or what they'll risk for. And that's the story about Love Hollywood Style and what I did and why I did it and why I started the business of it now. That's, uh, I think that resonates probably with so many artists out there, right? They're, they have this flame burning inside of them that just won't die and probably so many people have tried to kill it uh like your your mentor or whatever it was a tutor that said maybe you should do something with your hands was <laughs> trying to kill your flame and you know here it was you know almost a couple of decades later still burning bright um but i guess <laughs> why and you said this you know it was a tarp business because it was something everyone could use i mean <laughs> you okay. had told you had told me before it's probably a two-part question one why tarps and okay. then you got to tell us about that first big order that you got okay okay so this goes back to the late 60s uh even before i was born like so my dad worked with a gentleman named alan smith in a tool business uh and my the tool business wasn't doing that well my dad went off to go sell calculators uh, up in Canada in a mail order campaign in the early seventies. And he, he made millions, uh, you know, like, like a couple million dollars in like, you know, 18 months. And back in the early seventies, it was a lot of money. Right. And he was called the calculator kid, you know, cause he sold so many. It was like million when the calculator became smaller, it was like people, you know, could fit it in your hand. Yeah. And, yeah. um, it was this big thing. So I grew up saying, I want to be the calculator. Kid. I want to uh, entrepreneurship and being a hustler. Those were two big words in my growing up as a child. You know, before it was like hip to be called an entrepreneur or a hustler, you know, and then through a lavish lifestyle, he lost all his money uh, through, you know, I mean, sheer carnality, Tracy, I'm telling you, he lived it but loosely. His character, Paul, who loved my dad, Paul Thomas Anderson, loved my dad. Some of the caricatures of the Burt Reynolds character in Boogie Nights is loosely based on my dad. Ah. Um, he had a crazy lifestyle, but he lost all his money and he was homeless again. Now, that gentleman that he worked with in the late 60s, Alan Smith. He started it. He kept with, he created his own tool business. He left the tool business that he was with my dad. He created his own tool business in 1975 and he called it Harbor Freight, yeah, which I is did. a multi billion dollar tool company. People know it's like the Chinese, you know, import version of Home Depot. Right. 
And I saw this happen before me. And one of the products that my dad would sell, he went back to selling tools, but he was broke at this point and he'd have, you know, sell the product and he would buy it from places like Alan Smith and Harbor Freight, you know, and his old partners, you know, that, you know, now we're millionaires and, and Alan Smith being a billionaire. And my dad would always pitch products to me. He's like, you know, you want to do something like I do because I wanted to be, I wanted to be the calculator kid still. I wanted to be an actor and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And he's like, why don't you sell these drill bits, abrasive wheels? I'm like, I don't, I don't, that doesn't, I want to do something that's a little better. And then there was this one item that I saw that one of the guys had at one of these tool companies was tarps. And I was like, okay, this is simple. It's colorful. It's simple. And I remember hearing back in the day on the internet, somebody made a lot of money selling ceiling fans. So I knew I wanted to sell something that was isolated. And this is right around like, like, like a, uh, it was a batteries plus, you know, came around and all mm-hmm. that, you know, I was thinking, you know, that's simple. And I want to do that. And I also wanted to do something that was important because I, when I was in the nightclub business, I used to donate canned food for the homeless. And I thought, you know, I could take these tarps. And if I start selling a lot of these, I could donate some of the homeless and that'll make me feel better about myself, which is what I ended up doing. So I tarps just made sense to me. And I, that's why I adopted it. It was introduced to me through my dad, the, the, the background of my dad's tool business. And then the funny thing is, is that when these hurricanes came out in like 2004 and then 2005 was Katrina, I bought out the entire country from all the suppliers. And that was a big needle mover for us of all the tarps, all the people that were competing against me. I bought them out and I supplied uh, the state of Florida in 2004. And then a lot of the, you know, FEMA and Army Corps engineers, you know, um, buyers for Katrina the next year for tarps. And they called me Hurricane Mike. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I didn't get to become the calculator kid, but I'm Hurricane Mike. So that's pretty cool. I'll, I'll t- I will take current game, Mike. That one's pretty cool. And, yeah, and it's, like and it's it your first. name. You didn't have to be Calculator Kid the second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't. I heard that at first. I'm like, I just want to be an actor and filmmaker. So this one, I was like, I don't want to be Hurricane Mike. But I was like, you know what? You said you wanted to do this when you were a kid, and mm-hmm. that was kind of fun. So that that's my whole story about why I chose that product. No, that's cool though. Um, now inside there, you you said something in passing that kind of caught my made my ear perk up. Um, feel better about myself. So donating tarps to the homeless could make you feel better about yourself. Does that allude to some inner struggles you were dealing with, or just hey, I'm no, making money? What that comes from is like so you know being a ADHD ADHD or whatever, which I didn't know I had, and all you know all the learning issues that you know dyslexia and all that. I was introduced to personal development. Um, hmm. And when I was uh, right around when I was promoting nightclubs and I really took to it. Matter of fact, my, my comedy teacher, when I was 19, um, he studied with NLP, uh, Richard Bandler, who created mm. neuro-linguistic programming. Yes. So I was introduced to that at an early age. So I, I became really involved with personal development. I've done everything that Tony Robbins has ever done. I've been to Namali, his resort. I've taken all kinds of personal development courses. And the reason why I bring that up with the homeless is because... I believe in, you know, there's something called six human need psychology. This is not an exact science. It's almost a perfect art form to where people do things for six reasons and for human needs to feel significant, certainty, uncertainty, love, contribution, and growth. So when I say I wanted to, you know, do something, you know, that was going to, you know, feel substantial, that was going to feed me. Right. I just don't want to sell a product that wasn't going to have anything interesting behind it that I could do more things with it. So I said, you know, when I talked about tarps, I was like, you know, first of all, it, it, you could use it for outdoor stuff. There's like an adventure, you know, type of product there. So I was like, I said, that's pretty cool. And then donating things, you know, like when I donated canned food for the homeless, you know, when I did clubs, that made it even sweeter because now I'm feeding my sense of contribution, my mm-hmm. sense of growth. 
my sense of significance by doing something that makes me feel important. You know, it was a, it's a selfish end of it, but it's also, you know, a common, you know, these are the human needs that we all have. So if I could attach a product and now start to attach that towards, you know, aiding my human needs. And I was cognizant of this when I started this, you know, and choosing those things, I knew that was going to feed me. So that's what I mean by that. Awesome. That's awesome. And I think giving back is, is so huge. I mean, and, and, you know, I say that because I've been at both ends of the scale, much like you, I mean, you've been down there at the bottom and you're like, damn, you're the one with your hand out. Right. And people are like, you know, dropping stones on it sometimes. And I remember being down and out, you know, and I shared a bit of my story with you and overcoming drugs and the addiction therein. And even then I was giving, you know, and and I'm not saying this, uh, you know, polish my own apple, but it's sometimes it's just a part of who you are. And if it's not a part of who you are, making it a part of who you are is a really good thing to do because you start, like you said, you start feeling like, wow, even though I only have $20 to my name, giving $2 to some uh, someone who's even worse off than you are can just your shoulders go back. You feel that Superman cape coming off your shoulders and you're like, all right, I'm good. And I think that does so much more for you than just continually holding your hand out. Right. You know, yes. we see, I think we see those folks. I mean, I used to live in Southern California, so you, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Those folks, you're coming off the off ramp of the freeway, standing there with their little cardboard signs and, and you feel for them. Right. But if we could give them the opportunity to earn their pride back. It's great. Give them $20, give them a a, a roof over their head. But if you can start to give them their pride back by earning, you know, their own living, I think we'd see a huge turn in in a person and and hopefully over time, a society. Am I getting too deep here? (laughs) No, you're not. And it makes perfect sense because that's leading back to the the 60 minute psychology because now you're giving the sense of significance. Now you get the sense of growth. Now you get the sense of certainty of, you know, they feel, you know, a little bit more certain about themselves. All those, and that's a positive vehicle because you could attain six human needs through a negative vehicle and a positive vehicle and, and not a perfect, you know, science, but a, almost a perfect art form. What determines a good decision and a bad decision is a triad of if it's good for me and it's good for you and it's good for the greater good. Yeah. It's probably going to be a good decision, but you need all three, you know, but uh, that that's that's why it's so much better to have to push somebody and you know not to have a biblical term in here, but if you say you know to teach somebody how to fish rather than give them fish, right? There it is, right there. And uh, you know, and of course, there's a six pack of beer in there somewhere in that. Show, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you had to grow the hops or something. I don't know. <laughs> that's right. So um, this is the dark horse entrepreneur. So I'm going to ask you this question: Have you ever felt like a dark horse sometime in your life? Well, is a dark horse mean like an underdog? There it is right there. You nailed it on the head. Well, sure. Of course, you're talking to a guy that has a podcast called Longshot Leaders. So I, I, I have that and it always will be with me. And that's why I've kind of glommed on to, let's say, the story of Rocky, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's influenced me. Or, you know, I'll always be as, phys- as physical fit as I have been since 16 years old and on. I always feel like that's because your, your first years, your first decade of life is the most impressionable. So I always feel like the kid that was unfit. I always mm-hmm. feel like, you know, that now that is now fit. I will feel, you know, feel like I have a connection towards people that have, um, that are underdogs because, um, 
I was that person. Uh, and that's, and it's all a state of mind, but that's who I was. Uh, that was my mantra as who I was when I was so young. So yeah, I think that, I think that also I'm somebody that, um, whatever, I don't want to, I, I don't believe in ADHD, but I say that I have it because I've been told heavily that I have, sure, that I have right. it. <laughs> but I try to use that with a third eye of consciousness to say, okay, I am aware that there might be parallels. So I say that I have it. So, um, I try to use those, you know, as, um, launching boards to where, you know, yeah, that's part of my life now. So, uh, and that, and helps me understand that I'm going to fail a lot in entrepreneurship and that's okay. You know, Edison, the classic line, right. You know, that reporter for the for listeners that don't know the, the reporter said, Hey, what's it? You know, there was a, in questioning um, Edison. So, what's it feel like for somebody to go through a thousand mistakes to discover the light bulb? And he's like, no, not a thousand mistakes, a thousand answered questions. And that's there what every is. every failure is when you're in entrepreneurship. That you know, most entrepreneurs uh, take the risk and realize the failure is just an answer towards getting better. And you're gonna and don't make the same mistake twice or try not to. Yeah, I think every uh, every experiment uh, if we s- stick with edison there every experiment gives you new data probably maybe not always the data you were looking for right you're like okay but i and we're going to loop back to what we were talking about earlier it's now new data and you can take that data with the data you already have and you're that much better than you were when you started you just got to take the next step and get the next round of data until you get the data you're looking for that's right and get over that point where you know uh the fear or embarrassment. You know, I tell my daughters all the time, and I've been saying this since I was a kid because my sister would always get so embarrassed about things. I said, you know, sometimes it's more embarrassing to get embarrassed by what you think is embarrassing. Ooh, <laughs> you know, that's a great way to put that. I um, uh, I stand on the principle of always be you. And sometimes right. those around you will look at you a little cockeyed, like, what's up? And that's okay. Right. I mean, we're all unique individuals in the first place. So there's nothing wrong with just being you. And here's the cool thing for me that I think happens when you just be you. Those folks that resonate with that, they're they're attracted towards you. They're like, hey, he's kind of cool. He's being himself, whatever that is. I'm going to go hang out with that guy because I want to be me too. And those that don't like you, that don't like you being you, you probably don't want them in your world anyway. You just by being you, you tend to repel them out of your sphere of influence, which is where you probably want them in the first place. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. We were just talking about this the other day is that, you know, a lot of young people that, you know, it's you, you can, they, they'll listen to that today. And we all listen to that. And, and, and people are dense, you know, it takes repetition, mm-hmm. it takes reps to get in there. You know, to get, you know, so what I'm talking about is, is that when you're giving them an example of something, it's conscious competence, uh, you are, you know, but it's not unconscious competence to where it's intellectual knowledge and back to making a physical knowledge to where you can apply these things because we're, when you're all young, you know, you all have that inevitable, you know, insecurities and the, the, the internal dialogue that enables you, that does disables you, you know, to where you want to get to that point where the second half of your life, you're more mature to where you can start to apply the confidence you're over yourself a little mm. bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was talking to, uh, to my daughter and I said, I walked into, um, when I was younger, I was I walked into a, not a huge agent, but a pretty big agent's office when I was, a, you know, an actor. And I remember trying to please them, you know, and when you, tr- you know, and there's nothing wrong with trying to please somebody from a 
a certain type of place, but I was trying to just please them in every which way or form. I was nervous about making a good impression. Rather than going there with a sense of uh, curiosity, uh, you know, and, and confidence. And, and the, the, the agent looked at me and he can, you know, after like a couple of minutes, you know, he sized me up and said, you know, I don't see you as the star. I see you as the friend of. And it was very pontifical the way he said, said it. Now that pissed me off, <laughs> you know, but rather than taking it at the time, I said, look, this is a learning experience. Well, first of all, what can I learn from this? Well, why did you say that? Maybe it was the way I was carrying myself mm-hmm. rather than going there with loving vigilance you know, and confidence and curiosity and selfless involvement of who I was talking to rather than just being that insecure, you know, so you got, it's, you know, to, to be aware of these things and work at it from a young age and, and, and be cognizant of that early on and to be open for criticism and, and self, you know, um, reflection, really important and to do it constantly, you know, so you can hurry up to get to that age that we're at right now where we're, we're like over all that and we're more confident we could apply right, right. that. Try to do that early on as much as you can. Oh man. And lucky it is the, uh, the youngster. And of course, you know, as me being, you know, my fifties, um, I say youngster could be way twenties even that is already there. And I've been lucky enough to see a few, um, younger folk in my lifetime that have that mentality early in their life. And you're like, Oh man, the blessings that are going to come upon you as you transition through the rest of your life and get even more wise. Yes. Yeah. I mean, how do they get there so quickly? You know, um, uh, mainly, you know, that's got to be, you know, parenting, circumstances, timing, you know, circumstance, right? You know, there's so many elements that come into that. But yeah, the sooner you can get there, the better. Right. Amen to that. Well, Mike, I, I definitely appreciate you, you hanging out and especially for the second time around. I want to be mindful of your time. But if folks want to check out more about Michael Stein, everything's got going on, where do we want to send them to? Just go to longshotleaders.com. That's the website for the podcast and you could, my social links are on there and you could, you know, know more about me. So you just go to longshotleaders.com. That's how you could find out about me. And there it is. All right. So you've been dropping all kinds of ageless wisdom on us. What kind of final thoughts you want to leave us with? You know, just, uh, you know, life is only good as good as the emotions that are lived within that life, you know? So I, I don't want to preach, you know, but it, when you asked me that question, that's the first thing that came to mind, you know? So just, you know, Work on uh, anybody out there, just, you know, mindful of your emotions, you know, six human needs psychology, you know, when we talk about that, speaking because we brought it up, mm-hmm. if you are, you know, trying to achieve anything right now, try to realize that we all do things, or if you're upset with somebody, we all do things for six reasons, you know, and you can kind of test that, test this theory out. We do it for certainty, uncertainty, significance, love, contribution, and growth. And kind of test yourself that listen to what I just said and, and test that out. And we all try certain people do that for negative reasons. You know, they, there's negative vehicles to get that and positive vehicles. Try to uh, be cognizant of that and um, just, you know, do what makes you happy in that direction. Dude. All right. We're just going to leave that one right there because I'm even going to try and top that. <laughs> Michael, thanks so much for hanging out with us. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Tracy. Awesome. All right. There you have it, my dark horse friends and family. Michael Stein dropping Hollywood-level bombs on us. What thoughts or ideas resonated with you? Well, let me leave you with a few that uh, stuck with me. Thought number one, long shots, dark horses, and underdogs. Yeah, Michael Stein, he, he shared about how his family, and he himself 
was a long shot, an underdog, and as we say around here, a dark horse. What's a dark horse, you may ask? All right, well, the term in itself may suggest like a dark horse is someone who is least expected to succeed within a group of individuals, no matter what the talent level inside that group of individuals. It is that very same person, that dark horse, who has the least amount of power, the least amount of authority amongst that group. Dark horses, long shots, and underdogs are never usually even considered to be on the winning side. Thus, others do not have any hopes uh, of them rising above their station, or worse, they're probably even they don't even consider them a possibility of them having that ability to rise. As a result, some could argue that dark horses are not usually even visible to others. However, there's a keen advantage that comes with being a long shot, an underdog, or a dark horse, whatever you want to call it. And I'm going to dive a bit deeper into that on episode 227, Reasons Why Being a Dark Horse is Your Secret Weapon. Thought number two, who inspires you? Michael shared that a turning point in his youth come from the inspiration of the character Rocky. Now, here is a dark horse that no one expected to amount to anything. Many even bet against him. He continued to move forward even after failure. Now, I have to concur with Michael. I remember seeing Rocky when I was 13 years old and having many of the same reactions and motivations that Michael did. Over the years since then, I've come to learn the benefits of finding someone to aspire to and be inspired by. So on Tuesday, um, I'm going to go live in the Dark Horse Facebook group, and I'm going to chat about finding people to inspire you to create a business or in life that inspires you. Thought number three, stepping back to move forward. Michael shared about stepping back in his industry to learn more from the inside in order to move forward with his dream to create his own feature film. Stepping back to become a production assistant for some time, I believe it was like three, four years, in order to learn the industry from the inside out. So that when it's his turn to create his film, he had the experience under his belt to move forward constantly. Or, excuse me, to move forward con con <laughs> confidently, all right? Constantly confidently. How about that? Sometimes it's probably more wise to step backwards in order to move forwards, even in your current business, your current relationship, your current life. I'm willing to bet you can reap some huge rewards by stepping back. Now, I'm not saying that you need to uh, take on a lesser role in your business or in your life, but rather stepping back so that you can hear those inner voices that motivated you and prompted you to step into your current business. Now, I want to chat a bit more about this in episode 228, ways that stepping back can move you forward in business. And thought number four, just learning versus doing. Now, Michael shared the learning by doing path that he chose to gain the necessary knowledge that he needed to create what he wanted to create. Michael chose the learn by doing path. In this same path, he made valuable network connections and learned valuable lessons in the doing that most likely might not have been learned by just learning his craft. See, look, 
Here's the thing, and Michael mentioned it, and, and I concur with him. We don't want to take away the value of learning, but we also know that there's another level of learning that comes with the doing of a craft, a task, or a business. And I want to dive a bit deeper into this on Thursday. I'm going to go live in the face the Dark Horse Facebook group again and chat about overlearning can result in underdoing. And man, there were so many other ideas and uh, and thoughts and tips that Michael uh, Michael shared with us all. What uh, ideas, inspiring tips, or thoughts resonated with you? Whatever they were, I want you to take some time today and write them down. That's right. Literally write them down on a piece of paper. Don't just type them in your phone. Take Grab a pen and, and write them down on a physical piece of paper. It's something about taking that thought or idea out of the nebulous conscious, right? The universal thought, whatever you want to call it, and pushing it into reality by writing it on a physical piece of paper. Then I want you to go out there. I want you to run your race. I want you to get your results and then let me hear about them. Take these ideas and thoughts and put them into action. Email me at tracy at darkhorseschooling.com. Share the tips or ideas that you came away with, how you put them in action, and what results you gain from them. Heck, I probably even bring you on the show so you can share with my audience. Now, our next week's interview guest is going to be Billy Bat. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Billy Bat has gone from spending 13 years in the streets, in gangs, and in the oil fields to building a six-figure business and rubbing elbows with multi-million dollar entrepreneurs. Billy shares his thoughts and his insights on some and some unique ideas about entrepreneurship and energy. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Now, I know you want to keep getting these valuable tips and inspirational stories from the amazing guests I'm lucky enough to bring on this podcast. So please go on down there, hit that subscribe button. While you're there, yep, go ahead, drop us a five-star rating. Write us some kind words in the reviews. Heck, put down your thoughts. What are we doing good? What are we doing bad? Who would you like this to interview? Ask questions. I read each and every one of those reviews. And of course, do not keep all this entrepreneurial G-O-L-D all to yourself. Share this podcast with other entrepreneurs and business owners that you think would get value from it. And with that, I'm going to leave you as I always do. Think successfully and take action. Thank you for listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out at www.darkhorseschooling.com. All right. My name is Tracy Brinkman.